Your Total Wine & More store is ready to serve you with our always low prices on an incredible 8,000 wines and 2,500 beers. Want it today? Try our same-day delivery or contactless curbside pickup at TotalWine.com. Whether you're grabbing your favorite beer or pouring a glass to enjoy an evening on the deck, Total Wine & More has you covered. Visit any of our 12 stores in Northern Virginia. Your Total Wine & More store is ready to serve you with our always low prices on an incredible 8,000 wines and 2,500 beers. Want it today? Try our same-day delivery or contactless curbside pickup at TotalWine.com. Whether you're grabbing your favorite beer or pouring a glass to enjoy an evening on the deck, Total Wine & More has you covered. Visit any of our 12 stores in Northern Virginia. Welcome to the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, episode number 143. I survive because the fire inside of me burns brighter than the fire around me. Anonymous. Broadcasting from the back alley in Hollywood, it's the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, where we show you how to survive and thrive as an indie filmmaker in the jungles of the film biz. And here's your host, Alex Ferrari. Welcome, my Indie Film Hustlers, to another episode of the Indie Film Hustle Podcast. I am your humble host, Alex Ferrari. Today's show is sponsored by Distriber. If you guys are trying to get your movies or feature films or even shorts onto Netflix, Hulu, Google Play, iTunes, Fandango, or any of the major streaming services, Distriber finally lets you in without having to go through a traditional distributor. And you keep 100% of all the revenues and your rights. So if you want more information, head over to IndieFilmHustle.com forward slash sell my film. That's IndieFilmHustle.com forward slash sell my film. The show is also sponsored by Hollywood Camera Work. If you guys are interested in learning how to direct actors and become a actor's director, Hollywood Camera Work has developed an amazing master course called Directing Actors. And it is almost 30 hours. And I've taken this course. And it is by far the most comprehensive directing actors course I have ever seen. So if you want to get access to this course, head over to hollywoodcamerawork.com and use the coupon code HUSTLE to get 30% off. That's hollywoodcamerawork.com and use the coupon code HUSTLE. So today, guys, uh, I wanted to talk about a, a project I did many moons ago and I, I learned a tremendous amount of lessons. It's actually one of the most valuable uh, projects I ever did in regards to lessons and what I, uh, I learned from it and how not to do things. Now, uh, as the title of the podcast suggests, how not to shoot a $50,000 short film. <laughs> now, you must be asking yourselves, Alex, where the hell did you get fifty grand? Well, mistake number one is I invested $50,000 from my savings that I had been saving over the course of years. Um, but before I get into all of that, I'm going to go back to the beginning. And I'm going to talk to you guys a little bit about what I, how the project came to be, uh, how I... How it, what happened to it, my journeys through Hollywood, meetings, things like that, and where it is today. So the project I wrote, I wrote a screenplay uh, a few years ago, well, yeah, a few years ago now, uh, called Red Prince's Blues. And uh, I wrote a full screenplay because when I went through this the first time with my short film Broken, where I got a lot of press and got into a bunch of festivals and did the tours, got studios calling me, producers calling me about the movie, I had nothing ready. So I said to myself, well, um, if I 
I can make a cool short film again, get a bunch of attention, but I'll have a screenplay ready and it'll be ready to go. So when I do those meetings, I'll have that screenplay and I can pop it up and I'm off to the races. And that was the theory. So when I started doing, uh, when I went after creating Red Princess Blues, that was my first main uh, focus was to create a calling card for not only myself as a director, but also for the project and hopefully getting the project off the ground. So after doing Broken, I did, um, you know, I wanted to do, I wanted to take everything up a notch. I wanted to get some uh, name actors or at least faces, some really accomplished actors that I can work with. Uh, and I was blessed to have um, working with Robert Forrester, an Academy Award nominee from Jackie Brown, uh, Tarantino's Jackie Brown. Uh, he's a legend, a legendary actor uh, who worked with us on the project. As Of course, Richard Tyson from uh, Kindergarten Cop uh, fame uh, from back in the 80s. And he's always working and he's a very established actor as well. And Rachel Grant, who is a Bond girl from... Um, one of James, uh, once a, one of Pierce Brosnan's uh, James Bond movies back in the day as well. So these were all established actors and experienced actors, and I wanted to just take everything up a notch from what I did before. So I wanted to create a world uh, and create this environment, which is a really seedy, carny, uh, you know, carnival folk, you know, backstage after a carnival, you know, hookers and prostitutes and drinking and. Uh, all sorts of debauchery going on. And, and I had never seen anything like that on screen before. So I was like, well, let me see if I can kind of create this world. So not only did I have, you know, the most experienced actors I'd ever worked with at that point in my career in front of the lens, I needed to have an insane team on the back behind the scenes as well. So I was able to um, work with a production designer from uh, 24, the show 24, who um, was amazing. And he was able to create these crazy sets and uh, I'll tell you a little story about where we got the sets in a, in a bunch of the sets in the first place but we also was able I was also able to work with a, a stunt coordinator his name is Jeff Caliente who uh, was the stunt coordinator on uh, 24 he's been a I mean he was on the crow he was on uh, Scarface I mean he'd been around for a while but he was the the head stunt coordinator on 24 and now has been the stunt coordinator on Hawaii 50 for the last seven years, six, seven years that he's been on that as well. So uh, he was able to gather a bunch of amazing stunt performers to come and work out, work with us on uh, this little action short. And I w again, the quality of people I was working with was pretty much top of the industry. I mean, people were coming from Kill Bill, The Matrix, uh, you know, insane, you know, insane credits. Uh, we're all coming to work on my little short film that I was shooting here in North Hollywood, for God's sakes. So these guys were coming up uh, and, and helping me work on this stuff. I had a great DP who, you know, very seasoned DP that I worked with as well. And uh, and we were pulling favors left and right. Uh, I was, you know, I was pulling, and like you can imagine, like it cost 50 grand, but yet I got a lot of stuff gratis. I got a lot of stuff donated or helped or pulled favors or ex exchanged services all sorts of stuff like that. So I had a really top end team, and when you see the short, you'll you'll see that it was well put together. I mean, and I'm not being cocky, but on a, on a professional standpoint, the production value was fairly high on it, uh, without question, because I had amazing talent working behind the scenes. So uh, we built this insane set that you know we were able to since 24 was just shutting down my production designer basically went over to the 24 warehouse and just grabbed a bunch 
of flats, which are basic walls, pre-done walls that had graffiti on them and had uh, you know brick on them. So we were able to create the outside of a carnival inside of a soundstage. So we were able to do that. We went to their prop warehouse and basically just took a, a, a shopping cart and grabbed whatever we needed for free. This was all for free, guys. I mean, so even with all of that, uh, you, you'll ask how where did all this money go to, and I'll, I'll tell you in a minute. <laughs> so we were able to build this, this really awesome short, and I'm very, very proud of it. Um, and I'm going to just step back for a second. This is the second Red Princess Blue short. The first one was an actually an animated, uh, a Japanese anime that I co-directed with my uh, my brother in arms Dan Cregan, who was the animator on on it. And I try to create kind of like a prequel story to the short film, uh, to the and to the screenplay, trying to get attention that way. So, not only had one short, I had two really high end shorts that uh, that I'm using to promote and try to get this project off the ground. So. What's the first lesson I learned? Um, well, I'll, I'll tell you. I'll, I'll finish up where this this the short went. We made the short. It got into probably I don't know 60, 70, 80 film festivals. I didn't keep going with it. I could have probably gotten to another fifty or sixty of them. Um, but you know, it went out. I did a lot of uh, I did a lot of uh, as, as they say the water bottle tour around L.A. Uh, in the studios, meeting with different producers, meeting with different studios uh, who are interested in the project. Uh, I had a book of artwork created for it. Uh, I, I mean, storyboards. We had an entire investment package created, a PPM, uh, all the legal paperwork to start getting the ball rolling with it. I mean, we really, I really went all, all out for it, guys. You know, I, I, I swung for the fences without question. I swung for the fences with Red Princess, and I'm very proud of how it ended up. I'm very proud of it. It's, it's still one of my favorite things I've ever done in my life. It was. It was so beautiful, and I was so happy with the way it turned out. Um, of course, we always want to change things, but that's that's the way all artists are, all directors are. You know, you want to go back and like, oh, I wish I could have done this or that. But um, you know, we shot it uh, in over three days. I think it was two days or three days. I don't even remember anymore. Um, but it was pretty intense, uh, and it was a lot of a lot of extras, a lot of uh, wardrobe, a lot of a lot of everything. So, what happened with the what happened with the project? Well. A lot of dead ends. A lot of people wanted to be attached. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of producers like, hey, let me go get money for it. It was set up. Uh, I I um I optioned it a few times. Nothing ever came out of it. You know, so that's where a lot of not only that project but all the projects I've done in my career. That's why I'm a little cynical <laughs> about how things work in Hollywood as a general statement. But uh, nothing really came out of it. So. You know, where, why did it cost $50,000? Well, the very first thing is I was trying to create a world. I was trying to do something that I hadn't seen before. And I was really trying to impress Hollywood, impress studios, impress producers or agents or managers. It was a, it was a point in my life where there was a desperation. It was a desperation in uh, in my work and in the way I carried myself. A lot of the things I preach against now uh, on the podcast and on Indie Film Hustle, uh, I was doing back then. So when I say not to do it, it's because I know what happens when you do do it. And I was doing it for a long time. But you know, I think one of the big mistakes that you make, and this is one of the this is one of the top mistakes that I made uh, on on Red Princess, is trying to compete with 
a Hollywood production as far as production value is concerned. I was trying to create a 10-minute piece that had the same production value out of a 10-minute um, a 10-minute Hollywood blockbuster of $100 million, which is not really not really possible. It really isn't. Now, you're, a lot of people are listening to like, well, how about District 9? I mean, they did this insane visual effects, huge production value, and there's multiple other shorts that came out uh, that did things that are really high-end uh, to get noticed and to get their projects off the ground. Yes, that is exactly it. So, di- so District 9, I'm going to use as an example. Um, if you have access to high-end visual effects guys that really are insane and you feel that you can create a world and can create a production value that's on par with a studio, great, do it, okay? But my advice and my experience is don't because, yes, District 9 happened. How many District 9s have there been in the last 15, 20 years? Not many. And there's a reason for that. because when And, and again, this is my opinion. When Hollywood looks at new talent... You know, the El Mariachi model of like, look at all that production value they got out of no money. Those days are gone. They really are. They're not there anymore because production value is affordable now. You can get high production value. But now that that bar is moved from the days of El Mariachi, you know, an action movie back in 92, 91, 92 is a lot different than an action movie now. Before they were making 15, 20 million, 10 million dollar action movies that were being released theatrically. Now they're not. Now they're making 100, 150 million dollar action movies. You know, it's not, it's not on par anymore. But what has created a lot of um, stars, directors, writer, writer directors, um, who's created a lot of noise has been with good short films that are story based, character based, vision based. That's what Hollywood is looking for. They're looking for a unique voice. They're looking for someone who can direct story and character. Someone who could tell a story and tell and, and work with characters and actors and have a point of view, a vision, okay? A voice, a unique voice. Because this is the way Hollywood looks at things, guys. And this is, again, my opinion. They look at a, 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 a guy like Chris Nolan, okay, who started off with a, with a film called The Following. You look at the movie called the. You look at the movie called Memento or Following. You don't think blockbuster. You don't think one of the biggest blockbuster directors of his generation. You don't think that. But what Chris was able to do, or Mr. Nolan, excuse me, I don't know him personally. Uh, what Chris Nolan was able to do was show people he can tell a story, that he can work with actors, that he had a unique point of view, a unique vision. That's what you need to focus on with short films. And guess what? Those kind of shorts or those kind of independent features are affordable. When you go after these bigger, big movie action style kind of films and you're trying to compete with Hollywood, you're not going to make it. And I'm, not the, I'm, the, I'm, I'm the first to say never give up on a dream, never give up on trying to try something new. But understand that there is a risk when doing it at a big dollar value like I did. I rolled the dice with $50,000 of hard-earned money that I had created. And believe me, it wasn't like I had half a million in the bank. That was a lot of money, and it took a big chunk out of my savings out. Now, if you want to go and try to create high production value and really compete with the big boys on a feature-length film, uh, you can. I'm going to have an amazing story coming up. 
in the next few weeks uh, of a filmmaker who just did that, a $250,000 budget that looked like a twenty to $30 million budget, and it really did, and, and, and how he did it. So the, it is possible. But with a feature, you have something you can sell. You have something that you can make money with. You can have an ROI. On shorts, it's very difficult to make a lot of money. It's unique if you can. So you can't invest a large amount of money in those kinds of short film projects unless you really feel that you're going to be able to make all of your money back. Lesson number one, focus on story, on on how to tell a story, how to work with actors and and create characters and a vision, a point of view or a new voice. That's what Hollywood's looking for with short films, specifically if there are going to, if there anything even happens with short films. I know many short films that like The Raven, uh, which is one I'll put a link to in the description. I read all these articles. Mark Wahlberg bought bought the the script and all this stuff. Nothing's happened with it. That happened three four years ago. It's probably stuck in 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 a hell somewhere. And I would love to know what happened with that project because it was a great little project. Had a lot of great. Uh, you know, there was a commercial director who did it. He busted out all his friends. Spent about a hundred. I don't know, probably fifty hundred grand on it, and uh, did a really nice job and and really showed off what he could do. But nothing happened. Nothing happened with it. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that project, but it just didn't happen. It's just the way Hollywood works, guys. So, and I've seen so many of these shorts that are all high end. I, when I was when I was doing this water bottle tour, I was these guys were showing me shorts in their rooms of other guys who were doing cool things. I was looking. I'm like, why haven't I even seen this before? Holy cow! Look at that. Doesn't matter. It, it, it was rough. So, guys, focus on story uh, and and telling a good story. The next mistake I made is. I didn't understand. I didn't know who I was going to do. Who was who I was aiming this to? Who was my audience? I didn't know who my audience was. You know, I really thought like, well, I'll just make it and make a whole bunch of noise, and I'll do what I did with Broken, and people will come. You know, if if you build it, they will come, and uh, it didn't work that way. So because I didn't understand who I was aimed this aiming this at or focusing this at, um, I I kind of I kind of like floundered. I didn't know where to do because I made a very conscious effort not to redo what I did with Broken in the sense of creating a whole bunch of tutorials and put out another DVD and sell that. I decided like I'm not going to do that again in my high-end ego craziness that I was back then um, where you're like, nah, I'm not going to do that. I've done that already. I've moved on from that. Well, believe me, in hindsight, I wish I would have done something like that because maybe we would have been able to bring back a little bit of uh, dinero from, I would have maybe recoup some of my money, uh, which was which I didn't. Um, I did do one thing, and, and I did try to create a unique thing. I, was, I think I was the first short film to actually create an app, an actual app on the iPhone and Android, where you can buy the app for 99 cents or $1.99 or whatever it was, and watch my short with a bunch of behind-the-scenes footage and other things that I put on it. Um, I was a little bit ahead of my time, but I also don't think it was a wise thing because I was out of after making the after making the app and everything like that. I might have, if I was lucky, I might have pulled in five hundred bucks, a thousand bucks, if I'm lucky. And it cost me like five hundred bucks to to make the damn app in the first place. So you know, the the the, the self distribution outlets were not there yet. This is 2010. 2009, 2010. So there wasn't Amazon Prime. There wasn't, uh, you could put it on YouTube, but that was still very uh, taboo to put a short film on YouTube back then if you're going to try to get into festivals and stuff like that. So it was a bunch of different um, things that were going on back then. So knowing who you want this short, 
the short that you're making to go to is very important, especially when you're risking so much money. Um, the the next big mistake I made, and I didn't ask myself this question because I was just so gun ho about putting it out there, was where is gonna what's gonna be my ROI? What's gonna be my return on investment? You know what? I was really swinging for the fences on this, and I'm do I did basically everything I preach against. I had no real real distribution plan. I had no real way of making money with it because I had no uh, I had no indie film hustle. There was nothing like that around. Uh, I had no audience. I had nothing I can sell. So basically, I was just going to put it out in the festival market and hope that someone watches it and someone comes down from Mount Mount Hollywood, taps me on the shoulder and says, you shall direct. Here's a check for for $5 million, go make your movie and, and, and you're off to the races. And it did not work that way. And it does not work that way. That's why I yell so much about this when I, when I talk about uh, this subject. So I didn't ask myself that question. What's my return on investment? So I had no way of selling it. I had no way of making any money with it. And I had no way of guaranteeing that I even had a chance of making any money with it. So that was one of the biggest mistakes I made as a filmmaker uh, is... I invested, as a businessman, I invested $50,000 in, an, in a product that I had no way of selling. I was just using it as a proof of concept. And $50,000 is a hell of an expensive proof of concept. If you're doing it for a grand or two, something that's really affordable in, in, in a smaller scale, then yes. And, and if you want to do that, by all means, you can do that. But on an investment like $50,000, you look at that now, a lot of you guys listening, like 50 grand, I can make three movies with 50 grand uh you can make i could have made a feature film with 50 grand but at that time technology wasn't caught up yet and this this new revolution the dslr revolution hadn't hit yet uh as far as making really affordable short uh, independent films things like that so please always ask the question what's going to be my return on investment where am i going to make money on this how am i going to make money on this can i afford to lose all this money um, or am I going to swing for the fences? And you can do that. And a lot of people have done that with features. You know, they they mortgage their house for God's sakes. Listen to episode eighty eight if you're thinking about doing something like that. Uh, and I'll put a show, I'll put that in the show notes as well. Uh, you know, or put it all on your credit cards. You know, and, and make a you know, fifty thousand dollars. And you know, you, it's very romantic. But anyway, I don't want to get into that because I'll, I'll go off again. Uh, but you know, at least I did it with my money, and I didn't put it on credit, and it didn't kill me. It was something that I could afford. Um, It still hurt. So also, I I wanted to go back real quick on the production of it and lessons I learned from making a $50,000 short film. Like, where did $50,000 go? That's the question. Where did 50 grand go if I got all this free stuff, people working for free, high-end people working for free, or really cheap? How, where did all this go? I made the goddamn thing too big. It was an event. You walk on that set uh, that I had. First of all, I had a soundstage that I had to rent out for a week. That wasn't cheap. Uh, I had to hire a producer. Um, all the food. The the I must have had on set on any day probably thirty to forty people, maybe even fifty people on a short film. So all of those people had to be fed. All of those people. A lot of those people were being paid. A lot of them were actors and extras. I had to deal with. With SAG and all the fees that I had to pay for it back then before all the, the 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 rules changed. So it was a little bit tougher back then to deal with SAG. So the thing was that there was just so many people and each of those departments needed a bunch of different things. And if you watch the short film, you'll understand 
like, oh, okay, there was a lot of stuff going on, you know? And, and that's with a lot of free stuff, you know? I had a lot of favors I pulled to get it done, but it was just so big. I had a really good production team for the most part. There were issues. There were people that I wish I would have not hired uh, on my team uh, because, you know, I, I wasn't working with a lot of people that I knew and I had only been in L.A. for basically a couple years at that point. So I didn't have the the depth of connections and relationships that I do now, let's say, because I hadn't worked as much as I had uh, at that to that point. So I was still... I was still, you know, kind of green and I was definitely green working with a full, full blown Hollywood set, you know, full blown Hollywood set with really high end people uh, that are expected to do certain things. So I felt that the, 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 the whole short got a little bit away from me back then. Uh, and we're talking about now eight years ago, almost seven, eight years ago. Uh, and I learned a lot about how I wanted to run a set, how I wanted to control my my vision and make sure that the vision that I have is gotten get gets onto that screen. So I had to fight on set with people's egos and stuff like that, which I was not aware of. It wasn't any of my actors, by the way. All my actors were wonderful. I'm talking about people behind the scenes, and it could be the smallest thing. It could have been the biggest thing, but but because I felt like this was all out of control for me, uh, I think that's where a lot of this money went. I it, when when you when you do a project this at this size. Um, there's a money hose. And all of a sudden, when you crack that money hose open, it just keeps flowing. It keeps flowing. It keeps flowing. And it's it is it's like opening up a brand new business, which I have a little experience about, as you guys all know, with my uh, gourmet shop. Uh, it was very similar to opening up our store. Like the second you open it, every day there's something new. Every day you need to put more money in here. And, and, and oh, I didn't know that. Or I didn't know that. And you know, oh, the, the, this department needs this now, and this department needs that now, and we need this permit now, and we need this insurance now. And, you know, we did a lot of things that I wish we wouldn't have done, but I felt that it was a little out of control. And once that train left the station, it was very difficult for me to control it. So that's that's just an experience. And running with a $50,000 budget when you were that inexperienced is something I think was a bit foolish on my part. Now, with all of that said, those were the big mistakes I, I felt. Um, trying to compete with Hollywood production, you know, values, uh, not focusing on, on story and vision as much. Um, I didn't understand who I was really focused, how I was going to be able to make money with this and who I was focusing, what my audience was going to do and what my ROI, what my return on investment was going to be and, and having a distribution plan at all. Uh, that's why I always yell, festivals are not a distribution plan. You have to actually have one. So what good things came out of Red Princess and where is Red Princess today? Well, uh, a lot of good things came out of Red Princess. I was able to do a lot of festivals, made a lot of connections. Uh, I was on uh, on panels with big big stars, big Hollywood stars, uh, made connections with them, had the experience of doing a lot of L.A. film festivals. I mean, it was literally every other week I was on a red carpet with this, with this film. It was very well received, and people really do enjoy it and really liked it, which is great. And it did, um, it did add... Uh, one, one thing I did do... Uh, it did add a level of legitimacy to myself uh, as a director. And that little short did get me jobs. Uh, so I think probably from all the jobs I've gotten based off of that short, uh, I was able to probably recoup my money at least just from the jobs that I was getting as a director, as a commercial director, music video director, and things like that based off the quality that I was able to create with that. So on that sense, 
it was a very big success. Uh, I, I have been able to, uh, if you guys are part of the syndicate, you've probably seen the short film that I'm talking, both short films I'm talking about because they're part uh, are of the syndicate, part of the Filmmaking Hacks course uh, that I have where I talk a little bit about my experiences making the film. We'll go a little bit behind the scenes of how we did some things. I did do some behind the scenes, but nothing compared to what I did on on uh, Broken or the depth of, of the tutorials that I was able to do back then. Uh, and I, by the way, I still have probably about 10 to 15 hours of behind the scenes footage. Maybe one day I'll go into it and start creating some tutorials on how we did some of the cool stuff we did back then. Uh, but I'm busy right now, as you can imagine. So many of the lessons I learned on Red Princess, uh, I brought to This Is Meg. Uh, and, and and This Is Meg is the complete opposite of what I did with Red Princess. Um, you know, it's a feature, first of all, it's not a short. It was very controllable. Uh, I, I, I kept it really small, uh, very small crew, and focused on story, focused on character, focused on vision of what I wanted to try to do and the kind of story I was trying to tell as a director. Uh, and, and it, you know, it's a complete, and, and the risk is very minimal comparatively to, you know, 50 grand or 60 grand on, on a short film. Um, I, well, the, let me go back. Of course, obviously, This Is Meg was made for under $25 million. And I released the budget once my uh, my IRS audit is done, but it was done on a humble budget uh, to say the least. But again, so I I do believe that Red Princess Blues was a amazing experience for me as a filmmaker, and I think you know I I wouldn't want you guys to have to go through that and lose fifty grand and then wait years to hopefully get jobs to get yourself paid back. That's not a business plan, but I'm. You know, I'm very happy that I went through that, and I'm very happy that of the lessons I learned from it because it made me a much, much, much better director. Uh, and I'm very proud of it, and very proud of what we were able to do with it. Now, where is it today? Well, uh, my screenplay is still available, and uh, I I love that screenplay. I love what I did with it. It has been read a bunch. I haven't really pushed it too much. I might start pushing it a little bit more uh, in the next coming months. Uh, once I start getting a little bit of attention from This Is Meg, hopefully, and uh, I'll have something else in my back pocket you know, to show people at meetings. And go, oh, by the way, I also did this short. So I think the story of Red Princess Blues and where it's going to take me as a filmmaker, as a storyteller, is uh, is still being written. But I wanted to share this experience with you guys because I know a lot of people out there uh, are thinking maybe of doing a big swing for the fences kind of short film and I just wanted to show you guys my experience and tell you guys my experience of what I went through uh, doing something like that. The bottom line is, guys, that you got to keep working. And you know, if I would do this all over again today, I would take that fifty grand and make a feature film without question, without question. Uh, in today's world, uh, there is no reason, absolutely no reason, you would spend fifty thousand dollars on a short film. Uh, unless you're trying to do exactly what I told you not to do, which is to create a world, create uh, the same kind of production value that you're trying to compete with on a um, on a Hollywood budget film to try to get those jobs. If you're trying to get those jobs, my suggestion is follow what all the other really well-known uh, directors who have gotten uh, noticed, the Darren Aronofsky's with Pi, uh, Chris Nolan with, um, with The Following and Memento, these guys focused on story, not big blockbuster films. Hollywood figures that they can't hire a great team around a visionary director because the technical stuff can be, you can hire technical. 
it's hard to hire vision. It's hard to hire someone with a voice. That's something you can't buy as easily as a very competent creative crew. So understand that. And next time you're going to try to make a short film, a feature film to try to get attention or to even get your your name out there into the world, guys. I hope you got something out of that, guys, uh, and, and hope you learned from my mistakes. Uh, and it was an expensive mistake, but uh, I'm, I'm proud of that mistake, and I, I wear it with pride. So uh, thanks again, guys, for listening. Don't forget to head over to freefilmbook.com. That's freefilmbook.com to download your free filmmaking audiobook from Audible. The, um, the show notes for this episode are uh, indiefilmhustle.com forward slash 143. And I have links to everything I talked about in this episode uh, there, as well as trailers for Princess. If you guys want to watch Princess and are not part of the syndicate, you can always go to Amazon. Uh, it's on Amazon Prime. If you want to watch it there, I'll leave a link there in the, in the show notes as well. Um, or you can rent or buy it there as well. And both uh, shorts are on Amazon as well. The animated one, the Red Princess Blues Genesis, as well as the uh, the live action Red Princess Blues. And don't forget, guys, This Is Meg is going to be at CineQuest. March 3rd is our world premiere on Saturday, 3.20. Put links in the description. If you guys are in the area, please come by. The whole, t- the whole town, the whole gang is going to be there. A lot of cast and crew are going to be there at the two premieres, uh, the two, two showings that weekend. Uh, so please come by. We really appreciate it if you do. Thanks for listening, guys. And as always, keep that hustle going. Keep that dream alive. And I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Indie Film Hustle podcast at IndieFilmHustle.com. That's I-N-D-I-E-F-I-L-M-H-U-S-T-L-E.com. Your Total Wine & More store is ready to serve you with our always low prices on an incredible 8,000 wines and 2,500 beers. Want it today? Try our same-day delivery or contactless curbside pickup at TotalWine.com. Whether you're grabbing your favorite beer or pouring a glass to enjoy an evening on the deck, Total Wine & More has you covered. Visit any of our 12 stores in Northern Virginia. Your Total Wine & More store is ready to serve you with our always low prices on an incredible 8,000 wines and 2,500 beers. Want it today? Try our same-day delivery or contactless curbside pickup at TotalWine.com. Whether you're grabbing your favorite beer or pouring a glass to enjoy an evening on the deck, Total Wine & More has you covered. Visit any of our 12 stores in Northern Virginia.